Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. Amen. Well, today is Father's Day. We're honoring all the dads. I love my dad. He lives in Colorado. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I talk to him regularly. I was chatting with him this morning and to say, I love my dad. He's awesome. And uh, we're celebrating dads today. And as we look in the life of David, David was also a dad. We've seen all throughout the life of David each week as we've gone through the different phases of David's life. If you missed any of the weeks, Grab it on our podcast, on our website. It's on there. We upload it every week for that purpose. So get on there if you missed any of those. And David, we've gone through his life and we've seen how David had amazing things happen in his life, amazing moments of faith. But David also had moments that weren't so good, right? He had uh, strong moments. He was a great king of Israel. His family was great. But there was this one moment. Everybody say one moment. There was one moment in David's family where there was family drama. (laughs) there was some family feud, there was a civil war going on in David's family. I think we can all relate a little bit to the family drama going on. There's family drama happening in the Bible between father and son, between David and his son Absalom. And a wedge had come between father and son. Absalom had let bitterness come into his heart. He was angry at his dad over something that had happened, and he let bitterness come and grow in his heart. And it actually drove him to the place where he, he turned the people of Israel against King David and led them into war against his father. Man, does crazy things to us. The truth is, is that so many of us, we have wounds from our fathers. Wounds from our fathers. Every person who's ever felt rejected or let down, or discarded, or not loved, or in different ways. Even in the best homes, there's opportunities and places where we have wounds from our Father that we have in our hearts. And what happens is that so many people, it drives them to a place where there's you know, addiction and struggles and all kinds of things that happen that we try to cover things up. We try to put in place to heal. The people just don't know how to open up. They don't know where to take this pain to. And it just becomes infected and scabbed over in this hard place in our life, these wounds that we all have in the places of our fathers. We see this in the chapter of the story of David's life between him and his son Absalom. 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6, it says, David's army marched out against the, to fight the people of Israel. And the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. So here we have Absalom leading his band of followers, rebelling against his father, the king. He's made himself the king, and he's come out to fight his father to take over the kingdom. And it says the battle was raging. The battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. You need to know there's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for your family. There's a battle for the future generations of your family to come. There's a battle going on. We have to, it's a battle that we have to win, that we're called to win. There's a battle in our culture that's going on. There's a battle today for masculinity because the enemy wants to take men and women and confuse them, make things one way that we're the other way. He wants to confuse us so that we don't know who we are. We don't know our function or what we're supposed to do. He wants to bring confusion. There's a battle going on in our culture for identity. We have to be able to stand up and know the truth from God's word and what that looks like. And you might not even like to think about this fact that there is a spiritual battle going on. There is a spiritual battle that's going on that we have to address, we have to face, because the reality is that in the spiritual battle, most of us, the devil is working harder to defeat us than we're working to fight against him. 
right? I would just tell you this. If you're not fighting the devil every day, he's working harder than you. It's not, it's not weirdo, like sci-fi, spookiness. Or it's not meant to scare you. It's just it's what the Bible says. Let me show you in Scripture what it says. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So, I mean, it's like it's not against each other. It's not against people. But our struggle, our battle is against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And don't get spooked out right there. Don't get, don't, this is the Bible. This isn't the sci-fi channel. This isn't meant to scare us away. You have to remember what we have. We have the spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is inside of us. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in this world. So this shouldn't scare us. This is just preparing us for the fight to come. In fact, we have everything that we need from our heavenly father to have victory in this, right? It's a spiritual warfare. The next verse is, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, meaning there's going to be evil that comes, you're going to have to fight against it. When that day comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you do everything else, stand. He's just saying, he's just describing the scene of the battle for us. He's like, when the day of evil comes, you need your armor. You need to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. You need the shield of faith. You need to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel peace. You need the sword of the spirit. You're going to need some things and then be able to stand. Because when the enemy comes, he's not going to come in and be like, hey, can I take over? No. Like he's coming in with all of hell behind him. But I'm telling you what, we have all of heaven behind us. We have the power of God working inside of us. There's nothing that we can't overcome. Through Christ, we are already know we have the victory right we need the armor of god we need the shield of faith we need the word of god it's our it's our weapon the sword of the spirit when we begin to speak god's word that's why it's so important that you that you know the bible so that in those moments when when something comes up like you respond with the word of god because when you speak the bible the scriptures the word of god man that is your offensive weapon the devil has no answer to that Man, that is why it's so important that we know the word. Because the enemy is on a full-out attack. Make no mistake. He's coming at you. Men, the enemy has put a target on our backs. He's coming for us. He wants to pull us out of our place of leadership. He wants to emasculate men, make us seem like we're not important, make us confused. He wants men to step out of their role of leadership in their homes. I see it so often. Men in their homes, they're supposed to be leading in their homes, and instead they're like, like abdicating the throne. Man, we are called to lead. And hear me when I say, I believe that women are called to lead as well. I believe in strong women, that women need to rise up into places of leadership in their businesses, in the church, that women should be speaking. I I believe in that. And hear me when I say there's no place for abusive relationships in the body of Christ. It's not, as a man, I'm not better than my wife. We are partnered together. We are a team. But God has put in order Men to lead in their homes. He's put a a God-given order for things, how they should be in the home. There's structure. He's a God of order. So he said, same as Christ is the head of the church, he said men are to be the leaders of their homes. They are to be the head of their homes. Men, we are called to lead. We're not called to sit on the sideline. We're called to protect. And in that, we lead the same way Christ did. We lay down our lives for our wives. We lay down our lives for our family. We love the way that Christ did. Right? We love first. We don't respond in anger. We respond in love. We're quick to forgive. We lead that way. We don't have to make every decision. We're not demanding and demeaning. I'm not looking down. On I'm leading with love and compassion. I'm leading, but I set the tone and the direction. This is who we're going to be. Let's, let's all move this way together. Right? We are partnered up in this thing, me and my wife. We lead together. But make no mistake about it, man, we are called to lead. We are called to lead. 
The enemy wants to destroy fatherhood. He wants to destroy manhood. He wants to pull men out of the picture. Because he knows that if he can pull men out of the picture, if he can pull the head, the leadership out of something, he can get the rest. It's important that we rise to our place of leadership. The problem is, is that so many of us have these wounds from experiences from our earthly fathers and places. And they're just, they're so deep in us, you know, because, man, wounds hurt. They get in there. And if they're not dealt with, they can become infected and, and they can actually lead us further away from the presence of God. If we don't deal with this thing, it can turn into bitterness and anger and hate. And it's, it's a recipe for disaster. And we see this happening here in the story with David and his son Absalom. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 6, it says, Then Israel's troops were routed by David's men. The casualties that day were great. 20,000 men. That is crazy to think about. 20,000 guys basically in one afternoon died with no guns, no bombs, no weapons of mass destruction, right? There was no nukes. Like it, that didn't happen. It was just swords and arrows, right? And 20,000 guys died that afternoon. It's crazy to think about. Next verse says, The battle spread out over the whole countryside, so you could stand on a hill and look across the countryside and just see corpses everywhere. But, and this is an interesting phrase, the forest swallowed up more men than that day than the sword. Interesting. And as I read this, I got this funny picture in my head, like the Disney cartoons with the forest, you know, the dark forest. Right? Everybody say the forest. Come on, I need you guys to wake up with me today. I it was the, for, the Disney cartoon, the forest. Now, this, the Bible is not referring to Disney cartoons. He's not referring. This isn't the kind of forest that gets up and walks around like in Narnia or the Lord of the Rings. It's not like forest and trees that are taking people out. Like, it wasn't like that. This is like normal trees like we have. Okay, Central Florida trees. They were just in Israel. Right? These were just regular trees. But it's so interesting. It says that the forest devoured more that day than the sword. And my mind gets going and thinking like, that's just strange. Like, I, can, I get the guys on the field, how they died, right? Because it's obvious. You can look around. You can see their wounds. You can see how they died. From a, one weapon or another, you see what happened to them. But what about the guys in the forest? How did they die? You can't probably even see their wounds. What happened to them? How did they die in the forest? And as I began to think about this, and I was just praying, and I felt like God reminded me of a scripture in 2 Timothy 3 where it says, All scripture is given by God to teach us, to correct us, to discipline us, and to guide us, right? So I was like, okay, God, what are you trying to show us here? And I believe that it's a picture of what's happening in our culture today. Men being lured into the forest, into a place they have no business going, a places and things we have no business being involved in. And it's this place where if you wander in, it's difficult to get out. It's the, the forest represents everything that's not God's will for your life. Everything that's not God's best for your life. It's the forest of, of bitterness, the forest of depression, the forest of secret sins. Maybe it's the forest of anxiety, the forest of selfishness. Whatever it is, there's all different kinds of things. It's a forest, these things that come our way. The forest represents things that God hasn't planned for your life. You have to realize that God has a plan for you. God has a good plan for you. Scripture says, I have a plan for you, and it's for good and not for evil. It's to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope, but it's not in the forest. It's not in those things. You're going to have to come out of those things. You're going to have to stay on the battlefield. You're going to have to stay on the battlefield. So I want to give us a couple things today. Talk about a few things that every dad, every leader needs in order to stay on the battlefield. If you're taking notes on your phone or on the back of the worship guide, write these things down. Number one, we need endurance. 
endurance. I was a track and field guy. I ran the 400, the 800 meters. The 800 meters was a, was a half mile sprint. If you've ever sprinted for half a mile, that's a long way to sprint as fast as you can. <laughs> and it's two laps around the track. And I can just tell you the first lap, you don't need endurance. You don't. It's, it's when your body starts wanting to stop and you're, you know, you're starting to get cramps places and your body's like, stop what you're doing. Make it stop, please. Right? It's in those moments when you're tired and you want to give up. That's what you need endurance for. Endurance is that thing that makes you push through pain, push through difficult things to get what's on the other side. We need endurance in those moments when it's hard. So why are so many running from their posts? Why are so many men leaving the battlefield and wandering into the forest? It's like we're taking our armor off, laying down our shield, putting our sword down, taking my helmet off and putting it out and wandering into the forest and getting stuck. Why, why is that? I know that being a parent is hard work, right? Any of the parents in this place, they can be like, yes, it is. <laughs> being a parent can be exhausting, right? And I know, I, I know from being a dad that it can be hard work. There's a lot of pressure, right? You got to make sure you provide for your family and working hard all the time. Got to make sure there's food on the table, lights on. Got to make sure there's enough to pay for all that AC because we need it in Florida, right? We need some AC. I got to make sure we've got a nice house. I've got work to do when I get home because now my wife wants me to do things around the house. And now I'm missing out on my me time. I got to mow the lawn every week now because it's raining every day here in Florida and my lawn is growing real fast. Then I've got to be perfect. I got to make sure I never respond angrily to my kids. I never raise my voice. I got to make sure I'm spending time with my wife and spending time with my kids and making sure I'm keeping up with this and keeping up with that. Make sure I know what's going on in ESPN so that when all my friends know, like, then I have good response. There's a lot of pressure being it out. I know it's exhausting, right? It's just exhausting. There's so much pressure. And we, what we, we put each other on pedestals, don't we? Like, hey, make sure you don't mess up, right? It's just this constant pressure to be perfect 100% of the time, to always know what to do and the right thing to say. And it's just, it's exhausting. I get it. That's why so many, so many leave their posts because of that. All across our nation, all across the world, we see men leaving their posts, wandering into the forest, getting stuck and not knowing how to get out. In verse 9, it says, Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and the mule he was riding went under some branches of a thick oak, and his hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept going. So here's Absalom Stuck in this tree, hanging there by his head. He's just hanging out. <laughs> that was a good one. They're only going to get worse. It's dad joke day. Absalom is hanging there in the tree. He's hanging by his hair and his head, stuck in this tree. And it's here in this place that Absalom finally died. Let me say this to you. The devil's in no hurry to pierce your heart if he's got control of your head. What, what, he doesn't need to take you out. He's in no hurry to take you out if he's got control of your head. If, he's, if you can't control your thoughts and constantly speaking, like, you've got to get control of what's going on out there. We need to replace some thoughts that come in with what God says. Think on things that are holy and honest and lovely and pure and just and of a good report. Think on those things. 
And we need to get control of what's going on here. So how did we get to this point where Absalom is hanging in this tree where he finally dies? How did it get that far where Absalom dies in the forest? He was supposed to be the king's son, maybe one day to be the king. But instead, there was this wedge of bitterness. How did we get here to see what happened? We've got to go back 10 years in their lives. And it's about four chapters in David's family. You can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 14. And we see everything going on in David's family was great. Everything was good until one. One day, one of David's sons did just a terrible, despicable thing to one of David's daughters. And Absalom got offended. David missed it as a father in this moment. He didn't step in. He didn't know what to do in this moment. He didn't offer help. He didn't offer correction. He missed it as a dad. Sometimes dad miss it. And in Absalom, it caused a wound in Absalom where it caused bitterness to grow in his heart because he was wondering, where was dad in this situation? Why didn't he step in? Why didn't he discipline him? And instead, Absalom allowed bitterness to grow in his heart. And one day he killed that brother. And now Absalom is on the run. And we see the cycle repeating in David's family of being on the run, being afraid. And I'm just, yeah, I feel like the Lord is saying to somebody, you felt like somebody's told you there's been generational things that have been passed down in your family. I'm just telling you that just because something happened in your past, that doesn't define who you are. That's not who God made you to be. And those things, those curses are broken off of your life today. So Absalom is running and he's hiding from his dad. And now we've got the silent treatment going on. No one's speaking. What's happening? David has missed it as a father. Absalom's run away. But David, this yearning to be united with his son, began to grow in David. And he was like, I need him to come back. Somebody go tell Absalom to come back to the city. But, but check out what David did. Verse 14, he said, but the king said, he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. So Absalom came back, went to his own house, and did not see the face of the king. So now we have father and son living in the same neighborhood, not talking to each other, not even looking at each other. Like that's some cold, that's a cold Thanksgiving dinner, y'all. Like the mashed potatoes are in the middle of the table getting cold because he can't even turn around and look. Like that's just messed up. David just missed it as a dad. So every dad needs what? We need endurance. Every leader needs endurance. And we also need communication. We need communication. David missed it. He didn't go to Absalom. He didn't say, I'm so sorry. I should have stepped in. I should, I should have brought discipline and correction there. I'm so sorry. I missed it. See, we, as dads, we need to set the example in what we say and what we do. We need to say some things with our mouths out loud. Say things like, I love you. You're important to me. Like Our kids need to hear us tell our wives, you are beautiful. You get prettier every day. <laughs> Come on. Our kids need to hear that. Your kids, your daughters need to hear you say you're beautiful. You are, you are important. Your sons need to hear you say, man, you are a champion. You can do anything. You got this. You're, we need to speak these words. We can't take for granted that they know how we think or how we feel. We've got to say words. See, the words that we say are going to build a framework around our lives, around, around our family's lives. And what I know is this, is that frustration ends where communication begins. It's a good place to say amen right there. Frustration will end where communication begins. So communicate. 
Don't delay. Don't assume. Just communicate. And we need to begin to speak God's word over our family. We need to begin to pray over the men. We need to speak God's word into the lives of our family. Too many times I see parents and families, they just say whatever over their kids. Oh, they know I was joking. I wasn't serious. Just flippantly say things. Or they let other people say things about their kids. Or they let the Disney Channel teach their kids what relationships look like. Man, it is not that place. Like It is our place as men to protect our family, to speak life into our family. We've got to speak the word of God to our family and tell them who God says that we are. Otherwise, we'll get our kids will grow up and they're like, well, I just don't know why they're not they're not obedient. I don't know why they're not driven. I don't know why they won't want to come to church. Like it's simple. That's who you told them they were. Right? We've got to begin to speak life into our families. Speak God's word. Like it is our duty to protect our family, right? To build them up, right? Man, we've got to speak life into our families. In verse 25, it says, In all Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his awesome appearance and his handsome appearance. It doesn't say my name, sadly. This handsome man was Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. This dude had it going on. Muscles everywhere, right? He had it happening. He had that hair, you know. He had that smoldering wink, you know, going on. He had it happening, right? Look at, look at verse 26. It says, even when he cut his hair, which he cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. His awesome hair was too heavy. What a problem to have. He would weigh it. And his hair, when he cut it, was five pounds. This dude, even he's so messed up. Even his haircuts are like national events. He had that kind of Justin Bieber, the rock kind of thing going on. You guys, he, this dude was happening. But no matter how good looking he was, no matter how much he tried, no matter how many right things he did, he could never get this approval that he longed for so bad from his dad. Never worked out for him. Verse 28, we see it. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing his father's face. Man, it's a fatherless man right there. And it's crazy to think about the fatherless generation that's growing up right now around us. I was reading a a report this week about it. This fatherless generation is staggering when you read the numbers and you see what's happening. So many dads wandering off the battlefield and into the forest and getting stuck and not knowing how to get out. Now we have this fatherless generation. There's 20 million kids in the U.S. that are growing up with, in fatherless homes. That's 36% of all kids in the U.S. fatherless homes. Of all the kids and the youth that fill up our prison, 85% fatherless homes. Of every high school dropout, 71% are from fatherless homes. Of every young person who takes their own life, commits suicide, 63% from fatherless homes. Of every pregnant teenager, 71% are from fatherless homes. Men, they're looking for love. This generation, the young ladies are looking for love because they haven't found it at home with, with their father. They haven't been taught what love is, so they're willing to find it anywhere as long as it's free. Of every runaway and homeless child, 90% are from fatherless homes. Here in Central Florida, Orange County, that number, 15,000. 15,000 homeless kids, Orange County, living in home, in their cars, living in extended stay hotels and group homes and shelters on the streets, 15,000. Statewide, that number is 72,000. It's just... We have to draw a line in the sand. No more. 
we, we, have to, we have to draw this line somewhere and be willing to do something about it. To get up and be like, realize that as a church, it's our duty. If no one else is going to reach this generation, it's got to be us. If not us, who? No one else is doing it. You've got a generation of kids raising up, learning what it's like to, that relationships. You can have any kind of relationship you want. The love just comes any way you want. Not learning that love, man, look, God is love. Who's going to teach them? Who's going to be a father and a mother to them? Who's going to provide for them? Man, it's time for some of us to raise up. God's putting in your heart to be foster families. Some of you, we need to rise up and be spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers because there's a generation who doesn't have somebody to disciple them, to speak life into them, to tell them, hey, you don't need those drugs. You don't need to run with those people. You need to be in the house of the Lord, teaching them how to pray, teaching them what the Bible says, teaching them that God loves them, that they are valuable. Man, we need to raise up. We need to be those spiritual fathers and mothers. We've got it right here in our community. That's why we need dream centers in our city. That's why we need to do them. That's why we need buildings. That's why we need lands, not so that we can have all the cool lights and be the cool church. And and I, I believe in those things and those things are great and they're tools. But man, we have buildings. We need buildings and lands so that we can go into the poorest communities, so that we can go into the highest crime communities, put a dream center there where people can come hear about Jesus, where they can come get groceries. They can come get furniture. They can come get whatever help they need and they can hear about Jesus so that somebody can be a father and a mother to them. Someone can love them with the unconditional love of Jesus and speak life into them and raise them up because if we don't do it, this generation is going to raise up themselves. The world is going to do it and they're going to be lost. And if we don't speak life into them, if we don't speak God's word into our families, if we don't get into this generation and speak to them, then the world is going to come in and tell them everything else they should be. And they will be. But I believe this generation is rising up. I believe that God is raising us up. That this generation is going to rise up and be a generation like no other. One that's going to be pastors and and evangelists and missionaries and doctors and leaders. But it's going to take you and me speaking God's word into them. We see in this story Absalom craving this relationship with his father. He's experienced this father wound and it's, it's deep inside of him. All of us in some way or another experience these wounds from our fathers, even in the best of homes, even in perfect families, right? Because those exist, right? Even in those best of situations, we can have wounds that we receive because maybe dad wasn't there. You needed him to come to your game and he wasn't there. Maybe you just wanted to hear your dad say, good job. I love you. And instead he was silent. Silence speaks loud. Maybe you were just hoping he would hug you and he walked away. Maybe you were just hoping that he would stick around, just be there, and he just left you if you felt abandoned. Those little wounds over time, they grow. If we don't know who to take them to and and how to open up, they they can just grow inside of us and fester and leads us to places where God doesn't want us to be. But I believe that God is bringing healing into this place today, that today is a marked day that says, no more today the line is drawn. I'm gonna begin to allow God to work in my life to bring healing. Scripture says he is our healer. God wants to heal those wounds. The tragedy is, is that so many of us, we filter our relationship with our Heavenly Father through our earthly father experiences, right? And it can be difficult to see God as a good father. But I'm just telling you, Father is one of his favorite names to be called. It really is. It really is. Scripture tells us this in Ephesians 3. says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. He loves to be called Father. We're wired that way to even have this yearning to have fathers. That's why scripture says our very spirit cries out, Father, Abba, Father. Like we're wired this way. God wants us to be, uh, to, to call him Father. And I know if you had a difficult father or no father, it can be difficult to see him that way, but there's healing today in, for you for that. There's healing in that God is a good father to us. He's not an abusive father. He's not an absentee father. He's a faithful father. He's an always present father. He's not a passive aggressive father. He's not an angry father. He is a father full of love, full of compassion, full of mercy and grace. He is a father that is there for you, that is in you, that is with you, that is for you, that is pushing you the direction that he wants you to go. He has good things for you. He is a good father to us. Absalom was driven because of his bitterness, his wounds. And he gathered a rebellion of people around him, people that he began to whisper in their ears and say out loud. He began to dishonor his dad and be like, if I was in charge, things would be better around here. If I was the king, I'd be there to help you out. Be careful of being around people who say, if I was in charge instead of that joker, right? Be careful who you're around. Every dad needs endurance. We need uh, uh, communication and we need the right community, Right? Be careful who you're around. Why are you so comfortable being around somebody who would dishonor like that? Don't, don't come to me and say, did you know what they're saying about you? Don't tell me what they're saying about me. Tell me why they're so comfortable saying it to you, right? God doesn't bless dishonor. He, he doesn't. He never blesses rebellion. He doesn't bless those things. God blesses people who keep their heart before him. Like, God, I know all these things are happening against me, but I keep my hope in you. You will fight for me, Lord. Like, that's what God looks to and blesses. We need the right community. Absalom surrounded himself with people with a rebellious spirit. He led them to the city called Hebron. Hebron is actually the city where David first ruled as king. I don't think it's, I think Absalom picked that place on purpose to kind of like mm, stick it to his dad again, right? Like, I'm going to go to Hebron and I'm going to get all my followers to anoint me the king. And that's what he did. They got there. They said, Absalom is the king. And so he gathered them all from that place and they marched on Jerusalem to violently take it over, a military takeover of his dad's kingdom. And David heard about it. He sees this army coming to Jerusalem and he gathers his family and his friends. And now David is on the run again, running into the wilderness, into the caves. And it had to feel so familiar, had to feel like a retreat to David because he knows what the caves are like. He's been there before. I'm sure he knew his favorite cave that he wanted to go to in that moment. David is on the run again and in the caves. Man, we have to realize that the enemy has a target on our backs. He wants to take us out. He wants to lead us into this forest to lay down this place of authority and, and leadership that God has given us because he knows if he can take the head out, he can have the whole family. God has uh, called us to lead in this way. So that's why we say today, not in this house. Not in this house. This house, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In this house, I'm gonna, we're going to be men and women. We're going to be leaders who lead with compassion, who are quick to forgive. We're going to be slow to anger. In this house, we're going to be full of love. We're going to be full of grace and mercy. We're going to give allowance for each other because no one is perfect. Right? No, no nudging your neighbor right now. I'm like, No one is perfect. Every dad, every leader needs endurance. We need communication. We need right community. And we need selflessness. Selflessness. It's so important. Selflessness. It's putting others ahead of ourselves. Putting others ahead of ourselves. So, like, if I need something, I need my me time. My family needs something. 
I want to put their needs ahead of my own. I'm going to invite the band back up at this point as we get ready to close today. David, he longed for this relationship with Absalom to be restored, but it never happened. Never had that resolution there. When he got the news that Absalom was dead, he began to cry and mourn. The words of David are kind of confusing a little bit. He said, Absalom, Absalom, my son, I wish I would have died instead of you. Even in this moment where there's great conflict and Absalom was coming to kill David, David is putting Absalom's need ahead of his own, even above his own safety. He's saying, I wish I would have died instead of you. Man, we need some selfless leaders to rise up. And isn't that why we push our kids? Because we want the best for them. David wanted the best for Absalom. But we have to be careful on how we lead parents. We can't push our kids to be perfect. We can't push them into what we think is best. We can't even push our kids to the cross, right? We have to do something a little different. We have to do our best to lead them and then trust God with the rest. What does that, what does that mean? We do our best. We're going to position them so that they can make the right decisions, so that they can make the right choices and follow after the things of God right? We're going to position them by making sure that we are careful. We guard what they watch and what they listen to. I know our culture says, hey, YouTube and all these things are great for your kids. Listen, your kids don't need free reign of the app store and iTunes and YouTube. There's a lot of garbage out there. There's so many statistics about the age of kids these days and how young kids are seeing pornography because of YouTube and those kinds of things. Man, guard what your kids see. Don't let the Disney Channel be what your kids see about how a relationship should be. You show them, between you and your wife, what a relationship should be. We need to guard what they see. We need to guard the friends they have. We need to teach our kids how to choose godly friends and not just let them choose any friend. They shouldn't just get to choose any friend they want. Like, I'm going to teach you how to choose. No, that's not the right kind of friend. That's going to lead you the wrong direction. These are the qualities you need to look for in a friend. They're not going to be a friend. We need to guard the things we let our kids be involved in. They don't need to be involved in everything. We need to set our kids up, position them, and just tell them, like, in this family, we are going to prioritize serving. We're going to prioritize being in church. We're just going to make God a priority, and everything else can come in line after that. But for us, this is how we are. We just need to guard. We need to position them to make the right decisions. Man, and we just need to learn to give each other a break sometimes, right? So many times people are like, well, they just, you know, we, we just, no one's perfect. If you need perfection, you need to look to our Heavenly Father. He's the only one who's perfect. We are not perfect. We're going to make mistakes, right? Yes, we want to be great. We want to pursue excellence, but excellence and perfection are very different things. Excellence is, man, I, I'm, foc- I'm making sure I handle all the details. I got a handle on everything. I'm trying to be the best I can, the best dad, the best husband, the best mom, the best wife. I'm paying attention to all the details. I'm working hard. But when I miss it, and we will, there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's mercy there, right? Because it's, it's excellence. Perfection, on the other hand, demands perfection. And perfection is impossible, you guys. None of us will ever be perfect. Perfection is like putting pressure on you to perform. It's pressure to make sure you never miss it. I'm going to put you on this high pedal so you better never miss it. You better never make a mistake. And what happens when there's too much pressure? There's no root. There's no depth to it because it's just all performance. And then before long, the pressure strangles. It crushes. It destroys. We want to be excellent, but we're not perfect. No one's going to be perfect. Colossians 3 even tells us, hey, make allowances for each other's faults. You have faults. (sighs) It's good to know, right? Just release that pressure. I don't have to be perfect. 
make allowances for each other's faults and freely give forgiveness as, as Christ gave us forgiveness. We just have to learn to do these, not putting ourselves on these pedestals, not pushing our kids to have to be all this perfectness. Man, we have to learn this. And I just want to speak, if I could, for a moment to all those who grew up without a dad or maybe your dad wasn't there. I grew up that way. My parents divorced when I was just a baby and I grew up not knowing my dad. And, um, you know, growing up as a young boy, like there was, I was angry and I was hurt by things and I just, I didn't understand. But I'm so thankful for people in the church. My mom positioned me in the right way in the church so that I could be surrounded. I'm so thankful for spiritual fathers that were in the church that saw that I had a void in my life, that I had wounds that spoke life into me. That's why we need spiritual fathers. I know it can be intimidating to say, "Ah, I need to help in kids or I want to help with youth. But man, there's a generation that needs spiritual fathers. They need people who can just show up. You don't need to preach a sermon. You just need to be there. You just need to show up. Man, kids these days, they're longing for it. They're looking for it. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be willing to say, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Let, let's, let's go bowl. Let's eat some pizza. We all like to eat pizza. You can even get gluten-free pizza if that's your jam. Like, that's cool. <laughs> but there's a generation that needs, that needs spiritual fathers. They need spiritual Mothers, You don't have to be a biological mother and father to be a spiritual father. And I would just say to you, if you grew up, your dad wasn't there for you. You didn't know your dad growing up. Man, you have what it takes. You don't have to be a statistic. You have what it takes. In my own life, I'm so thankful because if without those spiritual fathers, without those people in my life, I wouldn't be here as a pastor with you today. Like we, we need that. We need more of that. But you have what it takes. You have what it takes to raise up, to be who God has called you to be. You can be everything that God called you to be. You don't have to be a statistic. You have what it takes. You have the spirit of God inside of you. You have the wisdom of God. You have the leading of the Holy Spirit. So run after the things of God and abandon the things of this world. Don't look to those things for your answers. Look to God. And when those moments come and bitterness tries to creep in because it will come, just release that thing. Be quick to forgive. God, help me in this moment. I need your help. Just talk to him. He's your father. He loves us. He loves us so much. That's the amazing thing about David's story. Even though he never had resolution with Absalom, God gave him more children. And through David's family would come another father and son, a father and son who loved them, each other, a father and son who loved us so much that they would step out of heaven, the father and son that would come to this earth and live among us, and a, a son that would die in the forest. He died on a tree. He was pierced in his side so that, to make a way out of the forest for you me, to pull us out of addictions, to heal our wounds, to heal our pains, to pull us out of things, to set us on a right path. A father and son who loves us so much. He loves us so much, you guys. The love of the father is so great for you. So if you didn't experience that in an earthly father, I'm My heart goes out to you. I know what it's like. And I have a great relationship with my dad now. I'm thankful for that. And I know many don't, but I'm telling you the love of the Father is here right now to heal those things. So I just want to take this moment together to pray just all across this room. Let's just do it just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Because maybe that's you. You grew up without your father. You felt abandoned. You have those wounds from your father in your heart and you've been nursing them for so long. Today is the day for healing. To let those things go. To say, I forgive you, dad. I love you you to begin to allow that process to begin of healing in your heart 
Some of you are here today and you're the dad. You, you caused the wounds and you're saying, I, I, I need forgiveness because I hurt my family. I haven't been there. Maybe you're the dad that's wandered into the forest. And today God is calling you out of the forest. Come out of the forest. Come out of the forest. I have greater for you. It's time to pick up your weapons, to pick up your armors. Man, there's no shame. There's no shame. You have the strength. You have courage in this moment. God is bringing courage and boldness into your spirit to be that one to say, I may have been in the forest, but today I'm coming out of this thing, baby, and I'm leading my family forward. Maybe you're here in this place and you're just like, I don't, God's not my father. I've never made God a part of my life, but I need him in my life. I need him to be a father in my life. Wherever you're at today, you're saying, that's me. Just all over this room, just lift up your hands. I want to pray for those. You're saying, that's me. Lord, I thank you.